The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News. Hi, I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome to This is Working, the podcast, where my colleague Nina Melendez and I discuss a conversation I had with a thought leader, an industry executive, a business titan, basically whoever wanders in for my LinkedIn video series, This is Working. Nina and I take that conversation, we dissect it, we extract our own top takeaways, and then we put it into this podcast. And here's Nina now. Hey, Nina. Hey, Dan. Dan, uh... We were working somewhat late last night, and I wanted to know, what do you do to stay energized? Because you we work working, a lot. Yes. We were working so late last night that today was, this was like a three coffee morning and multiple coffees throughout the day. Hmm. And it helps during the day, but it is it just wrecks me at night. Hmm. And then I need more coffee the next day. So it's this horrible, vicious cycle. Hmm. What about you? What do you use? So I'm a coffee person. Every now and then, if I really get low in the middle of the day, I'll do some push-ups. Really? Yeah. I'll do them like, I'll find a corner, you know, or sometimes I'll do them with colleagues. I'll be like, hey, you want to do like 10 push-ups? Really? Yeah. And it's great. It it wakes you up like that. That's awesome. Yeah. I was asking because you spoke with Danny Garcia, who is the co-founder of ZOA, which is an energy drink. And I never really got into energy drinks. And at one point, like I wanted to do Red Bull, but I was worried <laughs> that there was too much sugar and that my heart would explode. But energy drinks are something that a ton of people really love to help get them throughout the day. Yeah, Danny Garcia is Dwayne The Rock Johnson's manager, longtime business partner. Yep. She runs a number of companies. One of them is ZOA, which made our LinkedIn top startups list, which just came out recently. Mm -hmm. And that's measured across four different pillars. It is based on employee growth, engagement with the company and its employees on LinkedIn, how well they pull talent from our flagship top companies list, and then basically how fast they're growing in terms of employees. These are only for companies who are five years old or younger, and they have to be growing at least 10% a year. Hmm. So there's all these AI companies on the list. There are a few retail brands, uh, and one of them is ZOA, mm -hmm. which totally caught me by surprise. Yeah. I thought that the energy drink market was... Super saturated. Exactly. Yeah. Super saturated. You mentioned Red Bull. There's like Prime and Gatorade. Yeah. And there's a, you walk into a bodega or a grocery store, and there's just refrigerators full of this stuff. The idea of having room on a shelf for one more is totally shocking. Right, right. It was great to talk to Danny about how she and The Rock spotted this opportunity. Yeah, and how they're differentiating themselves. Totally. You know, she has her hand in a lot of different ventures. So there's Zoa Energy, of course, but she's also a film and TV producer. And she's doing something with Under Armour. So she's also in retail and in fashion. Yeah, she has a fashion brand called GS. TQ, which mm. stands for God Save the Queen. Nice. Which was, she was, I read a great interview with her where she talked about how she had seen that term as a kid. And she was like, oh my God, that's crazy that all these people rally around the queen. And I want something that people rally around and feel like they have a saying about. So yeah. she named her fashion company after that saying. She also has her hand in sports as well. She made history. She is the first woman to have purchased a professional sports league, the XFL. Correct. Yeah. So 
she she really has her hand in so many different areas of business. You had a great question to her asking her how she chooses what she goes into. Yeah, and so we're going to get into that, but I just want to explain why I asked that question, which is I was thinking that maybe she had some formula. Maybe it was she would look at the total addressable market or the number of Gen Zers in a particular area. Like how does she have some math formula that she goes to mm-hmm. to figure out where to put her energy and her resources and her money? And I thought about that particularly because of this Zoa energy drink. I mean, I mentioned that this is a totally saturated market. So what was it that she saw that made her realize that there would be white space Hmm. in it? And her answer was very personal. It wasn't math. So let's hear her talk about it. I think it's something that's really developed. For me, it's always been principle, but I've seen it more common now in the last 10, 15 years where people are saying, okay, what is that why in addition to the business metrics? That really drives us and it drives a lot of my decision-making. So it's almost the first why before we take the next steps. And then always, who are the individuals around the project? Am I going to enjoy the experience? Because you know this, Dan. Every journey is going to have the pit stops, the flat tire, maybe the car is going to crash, you put it back together. And so you have to look around and say, okay, are these the people I'm going to turn to? Because it's not the successful moment that's life, right? It's all of the steps to get to those successful moments that's life. So the who and the what, the why of the individuals who are around the project are really important. And I'm always looking personally, can I learn something? Will I be a different person after this experience? Um, And then you go into the business metrics. But all of that is really, really important for me. Danny mentioned enjoying the experience Um, when putting projects together. Do you ever think of things in those terms when you are planning a project or even assembling a team? I have not thought about it the way that she describes it, but I think that she's hit on something really important, which is, and Bob Pittman talked about this also in a previous episode, which is that work should be fun. Hmm. And then when things turn south, when you do have those pit stops and the crashes, It is good to have people around you who are part of that experience. Like those crashes can also be fun. Sometimes it's like the shared camaraderie. You know, you're like in a trench all together and it's not bad. It's like gallows humor and Mm -hmm. you're making jokes about how bad your life is and you're working super late hours and you're getting mad at your bosses and Uh all of this stuff, but you're doing it together and it builds from real camaraderie. How do you think about it? So the point that she makes is that there will be crashes and they're going to be the burns, right? Because your your work isn't perfect and you're going to fail. It's like, who do you want to fail with, right? When you go into the crash, who do you want to be crashing with? Totally. Have you watched the Arnold Schwarzenegger um, documentary on Netflix? I think it's called Arnold. No, but now I'm going to. You got to watch it. It's great. But one of the things that you can see in there is that he is having so much fun Mm. when he is pursuing every role that he's in. Even just the beginning when he's just dominating the bodybuilding world. He's surrounded by all these people. And they spend so much time laughing. Hmm. And it just it, it's clear that he is surrounded with a team that takes it very seriously, this idea of building big muscles or then turning into movies. But he's just he just seems to be enjoying himself. That was my biggest takeaway from it was yeah. how much he enjoyed his work. And I think that Danny's point about having teams that you want to be around, that you're going to enjoy even at these setbacks, it's a really important one. It's a great message. So question for you, if you had to rank 
characteristics when you're putting a team together. Where does the enjoyment part come in? Like, okay, so I'll tell you my first like top two. Competent, reliable. Reliability for me is huge. And yeah, I guess three would be we enjoy working together. Have you ever seen Jeff Wieners? Uh, Jeff Wieners is a former CEO of LinkedIn. He did a great post on LinkedIn years ago. Answered exactly your question. Who are the three kinds of people mm. that he wants to be with every day at work? And he drew a Venn diagram yes. of this. And I love was, a good Venn diagram. You're going to love this Venn diagram. <laughs> this, this is a great Venn diagram. Uh-huh. So it's people who think big, who mm. get shit done, and who have fun. Mm. So he put fun in there. He did. That was one of his big three circles. And right at the center, that's who he wants to work with. Nice. And I've, I've tried to think about other formulations, uh-huh. but I've never been able to. That is, to me, the perfect way to describe a great team or mm. a great colleague. Nice. Actually, let's put a link to Jeff's article in the show notes so that great. everyone can see that. Great. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more on my conversation with Danny Garcia. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. uh, We'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. And we're back. You know, Danny talks about her superpower as being someone who can really relate to her audience. And in creating all of these products and in building her business, it's so important for her to have a relationship with the consumers that she's trying to reach. You know, at one point during the interview, she says, I'm not in Hollywood, I'm not in New York, I'm in Orlando. And she says that this relationship with her consumers has been so pivotal in how she approaches projects and what she chooses to do. Let's actually take a listen to that that full soundbite. The majority of our careers has been spent in serving the audience and understanding the consumer, right? I would say that began all the way back in professional wrestling and understanding the story that has to be told in that 
four ring, that little squared circle, to the individual in that seat. So the training is there to really understand who people are and what makes them happy. I mean, that's, for us, it's it's a leverage point. The fact that we have that, the fact that I live in Orlando, and I'm not anything wrong with Orlando, but I'm not in Hollywood, right? I'm not in Manhattan. <laughs> you will always find me around and living and being with our consumers, the people who we serve daily, who are us. And that has allowed us to make some really, really good calls. And then, you know, we are deeply involved in social media. So we do a tremendous amount of listening and conversation. I think a lot of brands, you put this product out, you make a marketing plan, and then you hope. We're about... We're going to put this out and we're going to have an active relationship. So we are going to be listening and then we are going to be adjusting like any relationship. So there is no version of any company that has started that we didn't agree to have a relationship with that consumer or that audience member. It's like a relationship with your family. You're adjusting it and growing. So that mindset gives us a lot of flexibility and it allows us to make hard decisions quickly. You know, Zoa, we went through an entire rebranding and I think we were only a year old. That was specifically because we were listening to our consumer and we we're seeing the consumers that we didn't talk to just yet. There are a lot of people who will utilize specifically only data when it comes to, and I love data, by the way, but utilizing only data when it comes to product, when it comes to a color of a can, you've taken away all of the creative storytelling about why. You, you, you're just making an item instead of making an entity. And those things are very, very different. Um, and you hold those, those sort of touch points in mind when you understand there's a consumer on the other side who you want to have a relationship with when you hold that sacred. Orlando is a superpower. That was a new one to me. I love this idea that being out of these uh, sort of elite hubs is part of what enables her to do it. I think it's so right. Danny is a bodybuilder and knew that there was a need for an energy drink. She talks about knowing her audience. She was her own audience in mm -hmm. this case. When she goes to the gym, she is surrounded, presumably, by the other people who are her audience. Mm -hmm. She can do this kind of uh, testing all the time. Mm -hmm. And in fact, before we started the interview, she mentioned that she has a different uh, Zoa flavor for every day. Mm. And she likes, shoot, I can't remember which one it was. I think it was orange for leg day. Mm. She was like, oh, yeah, the orange leg day. Everyone knows the leg day is it's the hardest day. day. And so you want, like, the best tasting flavor. And so, you know, like orange, she saves orange for the for, for leg day because that's really where you prove yourself. Yeah. What is something that you thought you knew about audiences that you were surprised once you found out? Um, all right, I'll give you one that I found out about LinkedIn. Yeah. This was a real surprise to me. So mm -hmm. when I joined LinkedIn. I joined from Fortune.com, I had been most recently. And before that, I'd always been traditional media. And you never knew your audience at all. So at the beginning of my career, you put out a magazine and people would read it, but you never knew who was reading it. So an example of where I had a very rude awakening uh, was early on, the CEO of Groupon mm -hmm. had left Groupon and he moved to San Francisco and he quit or got laid off, I can't even remember at this point, but his next step was to record a CD of music about business. 
that he wrote. What? Yep. So that was my reaction. Wait, a CD? He recorded an album of music about business. Okay. And I think I had this similar reaction that you did, which is like, what? <laughs> and I reached out to an executive at MTV and said, you do a review of this album, like a really funny review of this album about songs about business. Mm -hmm. When I was at Fortune, we would have done this sort of thing all the time. Mm -hmm. And so he wrote a really funny, snarky, scathing review mm -hmm. of this CEO's album. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was hilarious. I was laughing. We published it, or he published it, and the comments started coming in. And the comments were so negative about the review. Oh. Why are you doing this? This guy is trying to do a restart. He's putting his heart and soul into this. This is really mean. And I was like, oh, this is our audience. These are people who want to get ahead and who have a belief and understanding that you do things and you fail and you get back up and you try it again. But you don't stand on the side and make fun of people who are trying. And it was a total wake-up call to me that I thought I knew our audience. Mm. Uh, it probably, the truth is that in my entire career, I thought I knew the audience, mm. which I thought was me, mm -hmm. or people that would think the same kind of stuff I thought was funny was funny. Mm -hmm. And I was totally wrong. Mm -hmm. On LinkedIn, th this is not what they came here for. Mm -hmm. And it totally changed the kind of posts that we promoted, what we curated, mm -hmm. and it changed the voice of the LinkedIn news team to be one that isn't ever snarky. Mm -hmm. That's one of my rules. Is like We are never snarky, mm -hmm. and we're there for people mm -hmm. because that's what the community and the consumer wants. So total wake-up call for me. I actually love that because it shows that, I mean, it just shows that the LinkedIn audience is I, for the most part, good people. Because it's funny, because yeah. when you said that, oh, I wanted a scathing review on the... I have to be honest, Dan, when I heard you say that, I was like, aw, like, That's why, great. why are you been kicking here, been the man so down? Right. Like, just trying like... something new. Like, let him make a CD. So it's great to know that the audience was not compassionate as much as just, like, encouraging. But you could say, like, I didn't like this album, but you don't say, what a joke. Yeah. You know, you mentioned you mentioned writing articles and not really knowing who your audience is. How did you then write articles without having that data? Or how did you pick what you, topics you were going to talk about or know what was going to be interesting to someone just beyond you? Same thing with Danny. Like, she's very niche, right? Bodybuilding is very niche. How does she know what is going to resonate with other people? Well, she talks a little bit about what she learned from professional wrestling. I mm. love that she called out WWE. Don't forget The Rock. Part of his career was spent oh, in the square. How can one in the forget? Ring. Remember his whole thing of like, can you smell what The Rock is cooking? Were you a big Rock fan? I can't believe I just said that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> he would do this whole thing. Uh, I always thought he was so entertaining. Yeah. Yeah. But one of the great parts about WWE is the crowd is there. They are sitting alongside the ring. They're yelling. They're cheering. Yeah. They will let you know really quickly what they like and mm. what they don't like. Yeah. Danny talks about spending a lot of her time in social media and seeing what the audience is saying about her products. It's really similar on LinkedIn, where when I post, I read all the comments. The first two days, I try to respond to all the comments also. And... What I'm doing there is listening to what people like and what they don't like, and yeah. then that helps me calibrate for the future. So I'll give you another example. A lot of times I'll post, and I'll have like a, at the end I'll ask a question, and because I want to hear what people have to say about something. And a lot of times people will totally ignore my question, which mm -hmm. is great. 
and they talk about their own things in the comments. And I'm like, oh, this is actually the question that people want to ask. Right. And I'll replace it because I want to get other people to chime in because it's clear that that is That's the what real resonated. topic. That's yeah. what resonated. Yeah. And so I think a lot of it is leading to a point or trying things out, starting the conversation, and then really listening to where people what people actually want to talk about yeah. and then changing your tactics or, or based on where people want to go. Yeah. You have to lead and then you listen and then you respond. So she's a great listener. This reminds me of Bob Pittman. You mentioned him earlier. He's a co-founder of MTV, VH1, and he's currently the CEO of iHeartMedia. He mentioned this when he was talking about MTV and you had asked him, like, when he comes up with these sort of wild ideas, like, how does he know it's going to work? And he was like, well, I just looked and I saw people liked music and they liked, you know, they liked TV and how can we combine it together? It made sense to him. Yeah, it made sense to him. And then he saw that people were sitting in front of the kids were sitting in front of their TV yep. all day watching this. And he was like, great. He's now saw that his audience was actually there and it was yep. a growing audience. And he talked about the fact that even though we couldn't measure it at the beginning, he knew it was a hit. And some other people, in this case, Pepsi, came in and saw that this was reaching a generation yeah. in a really interesting way. Yeah. And so they joined Bob's vision yeah. and backed him on this. And I think a lot of that is this idea of knowing your, this is the second person in a row now that we've talked about knowing your customer yeah. really well and being a great listener. So. And being a great observer. Great observer, yeah. Yeah. You know, Dan, I always love hearing about women who start on the fringes and sit at tables with people who don't look like them. And yet, in spite of it, make wonderful things happen. And Danny talked about, and this really resonated with me, talked about walking into rooms and feeling like she didn't belong and how that actually drove her and sharpened her. Let's take a listen. What I always thought was not that the room is wrong, but I'm wrong. So then I would go back and I would work even harder, and I would work on that idea even more, and I would clarify it, and I would, you know, I had walked into so many rooms and dropped a concept, and there was just crickets, crickets. And that room didn't look like me. So I carried that always and said, okay, all right, the next time I go in, I'm just going to work harder, I'm going to work harder, I'm going to work harder. It's probably about six years ago that I realized, okay, this is not me. This is the room. I'm looking at, you know, gender bias. I'm looking at, you know, microaggressions. I'm, you know, I'm in some really distinct rooms that look very similar and not to me. And um, and so I had become a very sharp edge as far as, you know, putting forth my philosophy. You know, that that was probably the benefit that I refined and refined and refined. But then about six and seven years ago, I realized that it was the room that needed a moment. And once I realized it was a room that needed a moment, besides going through the anger of that, I got to a really good place. And I and I now take a moment to build bridges to allow people to catch up or to let them understand, you know, six, seven years ago, maybe 10 years ago, oh, this is Dwayne Johnson's manager, but wait, is that his ex-wife? Or wait, why is she there? You know, it takes about five or 10 minutes of me speaking and then people are like, oh, I get it. Now, uh, you know, I don't have that. Most people know who I am when I get into a room if they're working with me, but I've learned, um, I've learned kindness to bridge them along and let them under and understand that it's it's not me. It's it's not me. You know, she mentions in here that she is 
Dwayne Johnson's ex-wife. We probably should have brought that up sooner uh, and talk about, I mean, this is not the subject of this podcast, but maybe another one in the future is people who are able to work with their exes, work with their exes. Yeah. I mean, that is the only other one I could think of is Bill and Melinda Gates. And I think we got to find a third. I think if we find mm. a third, then we've got a, uh, you know, there's a pattern and we can, right. we can draw a bigger inference for lessons learned from it. But I think this was probably the heart of the conversation. This told me so much about the way Danny sees the world. She talked a little bit about the fact that she has never had a mentor, mm -hmm. that she has to figure all this stuff out mm -hmm. on her own. She's not angry about it, or she doesn't feel like it set her back, but she definitely feels like she's got to figure all of this out. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's it means that she is she comes into these rooms with more pressure on her than anyone else. And instead of that driving her into the corners or out of this industry, mm -hmm. it just made her realize that she was going to fight harder and that it was the room that was the problem. Yeah. You said this resonated with you. Why is that? Um, you know, there's something about the mentorship thing that she said, and I think she might have mentioned this to the producers off camera, about how for a lot of women of color, mentors are hard to find. And I have to say that I've had... Few, few and far between. I've had some people who've served in sort of loose mentorship roles, but for the most part, I haven't ever had a mentor in my career. She mentioned microaggressions, and she mentioned even just the association with with Dwayne Johnson, where that for you know this idea that people are like, oh, isn't that just his ex-wife? But yeah, it can be really tricky, and I really resonated with the fact that it's tricky. Like you walk into a room and you look around and. There aren't people that look like you and you're maybe pitching ideas that are, you know, that other people maybe can't relate to or don't really understand. Loved that she said it just made her work harder, which is great, but also so unfortunate that that has to be the story. Because for a lot of people of color, like they can't be 10 out of 10. They have to be 20 out of 10, mm -hmm. you know, and it's just like. At what point can we just be a 10 out of 10, you right. know? Or even, like, can I just be a 5 out of 10 and still succeed, you know? Um, so, yeah, that's why it resonated with me. So I guess the question then is, once you've made it, you know, for someone like Danny who has had to be the 20 out of 10 in these rooms, mm -hmm. is there a requirement? Requirement's the wrong word. Duty, feeling, like, how much do you then have to give back to make sure other people don't have to be that 20 out of 10, yeah. that they can go in and just be themselves? Yeah. I mean, I think the expectation for her is the same expectation that it would be for a white woman in her space, you know? Like, be the mentor if you want to. Don't be the mentor if you don't want to. You know, there shouldn't, I think, be an extra onus on people people who are brown or black to do something. No, if she wants to, if she doesn't. What I really appreciate about her is that her team sent an email to the producer um, of This Is Working, one of the producers who is a, a woman, and she said, A, thank you for creating a safe space for Danny to be vulnerable. And she also had mentioned that Danny was impressed that the woman on This Is Working was a woman producer. And I think like little notes like that to me, is awesome. Absolutely. Being make, able to just make that acknowledgement. Make that acknowledgement. Yeah. yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I really felt like these weren't canned answers. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel like she'd answered these questions a million times. Like she was giving serious thought to her feelings about how she has grown her career or the stumbling blocks in her career. Did yeah. Did you get that feeling? Yeah, I did. 
You know what I thought of, Dan, and I actually want to get your take, is she strikes me as being someone who has a ton of grit. Yeah. And I was wondering if you think that's something that is learned or is that something that you can teach people or is that something you just have inside of you? I think, I mean, all the literature says that this is something that can be learned. Hmm. But based on how Danny talks about her childhood, mm-hmm. it sounds like she was born with this. Hmm. This is someone who looked at her parents, first generation uh, Americans, and said, I want to be a millionaire. Mm-hmm. She said, I want to support my family. She used the word millionaire. She had her eyes on the prize. Mm. That is something that maybe you can learn. But man, she was doing it from the beginning. That's grit that she was born with, I think. And I mean, I think of when you said, you know, she didn't go into a corner, like when she would say things and people didn't respond to yeah. her ideas. You said, you know, she didn't go into a corner. And I had this visual of like her her presenting an idea and people being like, no, sorry. And then her just retreating into a corner of a room. Like to me, it's how do you do that? How does someone say to your face like that's, Dan, that's a bad idea. Right. That sucked. How do you not go, okay, sorry. Exactly. If I, when I was in my 20s, so I probably still now, but for sure when I was in my 20s, yeah. someone said that to me, I would be like, I'm out of this room. <laughs> do that, that whole Homer Simpson gift, yeah. you know, You're falling into the, into exactly. the hedges. <laughs> That's it. I'm into those hedges, so deep in the hedges. And she was like, yeah. nope, I'm yeah. in this room to, to stay. Yeah, it's amazing. Actually, I would love to hear from anyone listening to this how they have overcome that feeling of not belonging in the room or being told that their idea sucks and still coming back. How do you keep moving forward rather than retreating? Let me know on LinkedIn using the hashtag thisisworking or send your voice. You can make a voice memo on your phone and email it to us at thisisworking at linkedin.com. Either way, you might hear your contributions on an upcoming episode. And special shout out to our listener, Jamie O'Gents. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, who emailed me. He had some great feedback for the podcast. So thank you, Jamie. And we want to hear from all of you guys. Like, let us know what you want Dan and I to talk about. And if you'd like to hear the full conversation between Dan and Danny Garcia, check the show notes. We'll link to it there. This is Working is a LinkedIn editorial production. Our production team includes Sarah Storm, Stephen Valdivia, Asaf Gidron, Taisha Henry, and Andres Cardona. Joe DeGiorgi mixes our show. Enrique Montalvo is our executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. Our head of original programming is Courtney Coop. I'm Nina Melendez, senior producer. And I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Be well and stay curious.